week I was overwhelmed with the just the amount of doctrine and teaching that we have about the resurrection of Christ. As uh, I was trying to, I have found a good habit, uh, at least I like it, of getting, coming back to the passage that we originally, that we spend in the morning, coming back in the evening and talking about it a little bit further. And it just didn't feel like that was what we needed to do this time. But I was uh, debating between a couple of different couple of different passages and just back and forth on I like this one and I like this one there's just so much there that uh, I I'm glad that we it's such a deep deep doctrine but I, I was frustrated that I couldn't narrow it down but I decided on this and uh, we are going to Pastor Sears asking we're going to go all the way through Romans 6 we actually are going to start in Romans 4 <laughs> and we're going to work uh uh, cover three. We we'll started the end of uh, beginning of four. We'll end at the end of six, but that doesn't mean we're going through every every verse. But I do want to make break uh, get a little bit of. We're starting in Romans four just so that we can uh, break get a little bit of running room into uh, where I want to spend some time in chapter six. And really, just a meditation, if you will, through the sixth chapter of Romans. Uh, and uh, I'm just really I'm going to read it and explain it and keep moving on and then move to. Just a thought at the end, but if this morning the the point of the message was that resurrection makes justification possible, then tonight I want to point out that the resurrection also makes sanctification possible. Not only does the resurrection of Jesus uh, enable us to be saved, it also enables us to be sanctified, and that's what I want to I want to point out to you tonight. So in Romans 4, and I think I said the beginning of Romans 4, but we're going to start in verse 21. Romans 4.21 is talking about Abraham with being told that he was going to have a son, and this is he's well past age, and so I'm going to read. So if you, if you follow along in your Bible, I am going to move rather quickly just to make sure that I can get all the way through to the end of chapter 6. So Romans 4 and verse 21 says, and being fully persuaded that what he uh, what he had promised, that's God, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. So what we're talking about here is justification. And what, what Paul is writing and describing here is that uh, Abraham believed, even though he didn't actually see it yet, and he couldn't really see any human way for a son to come. He believed that it would happen. If you read up a couple of verses before, it's talking about uh, how old he was and how old Sarah was and how ridiculous it all sounded. And yet he believed uh, despite all that because God said it, he believed it. And the Bible says that his faith there was counted, uh, verse 22, counted as righteousness. And then it says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised for, again for our justification. So the end of chapter 4 is on a theme of justification, and it continues uh, through chapter 5 in that light. Verse number 1 of chapter 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and, and continues to talk about the benefits of being justified, of no longer being under condemnation, being uh, being right with God. It says that we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Verse number two, we rejoice in the hope and glory of God. Uh, we glory in tribulations. Verse number three, skip down 
uh, to verse number nine, if you will, it says now, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So uh, it's, it's not only is, I mean, how great it is that we are justified, uh, but he's going to continue and move on into this next thing about uh, uh, he's moving towards sanctification. But I want you to notice how he builds the, builds the case there. So verse number nine again, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. All right, so he, uh, and then skip down to verse number 18. And he was talking about in the meantime, he's talking about how that uh, through one man, Adam, sin, and all of us inherit sin through the one man, and the one offense brought offense to everybody. But then through the other man, the last Adam or the second Adam, Jesus, uh, through one man's obedience, uh, many are brought uh, into into, uh, uh, reconciliation with God. Uh, Verse number 12, he's, um, I'm sorry, verse number yeah, verse number 12, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now skip to verse 18, please. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of the one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So he is, he is explaining here that because of Jesus' resurrection, his death and resurrection, we can be justified. And he's, and he's talking about here the contrast between the law and the grace. And he's, he's kind of uh, mentioned that a little bit there, that the law brought the condemnation and sin. Verse 20, the law entered that the offense might abound, but it was, it was done so that grace could abound more. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Uh, and then it says, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. But notice what he says about that. The natural response or the natural uh, reaction to this is, well, if I'm under grace, I get to do what I want. I get a free pass to do as I please. And that's what Paul addresses at the beginning of chapter 6. Now we're going to go verse by verse here. Uh, but still try to not, not keep you here very long. What shall we say then? What do we talk about? What do we say about this then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now remember, he's talking about justified people. They've already received the justification. Now, what are we going to do about this? Are we going to live however we like? That, and so that we can, you know, really make grace abound because he already said that where grace abounds or where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. So, hey, I'm going to sin a whole lot so that grace will be a whole lot more. Paul says, no, that's ridiculous. He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says we are dead to sin, so how can we continue living in sin? Verse number, I just skipped three pages. There we go. Verse number three. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Baptism here is the the symbolic um, act of the inward conversion. So this is not, we are not literally being baptized into Christ when we go under the waters, but it's a, it's a baptism is the thing that is done after salvation, and it is showing that when we are saved and we are justified, we are baptized into Christ, and that's why there is some sort of uh, verbiage from this passage here uh, that, that we are buried in the likeness of, resur- of His death and raised in the likeness of resurrection, raised to walk in newness of life. 
because it's a it's a symbolist uh, it's a symbol of the of the unity that we now have with Christ. He goes on in verse number four to explain this. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we are buried with Christ so that we can be raised with him. Um, I'm sorry, we are buried with Christ so that we can be raised with him. And now we can live anew. We can live a different way because we were buried. We were, we were dead to sin. So we're buried so that we could be raised. That's why Jesus was buried, so that he could be raised. The resurrection, uh, proving that he had conquered death, he had to die first before he could be resurrected. So uh, this, is, this is what Paul is, is explaining here. Now, we are uh, united with Christ in this. When, we, when we're justified, we are baptized into Christ in his death, uh, and it, which is, again, it's, um, this is symbolic here through the baptism. So he goes on in verse number uh, five, he says, for if we've been planted together or buried together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we uh, we have this this union with Christ, both in death and life. Verse number six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We're dead to sin. We've been crucified to this. And notice the specific words that he's using to describe us and how it relates to Christ. Crucified, buried, resurrected. It's the gospel uh, that, that we recognize with Christ as being, as being uh, done to us. We are dead to sin now, which means then we are no longer enslaved to it. That's what he's, that's what he's teaching there. It's saying that we are, we're crucified so that sin, so that the body of sin would be destroyed so that we are no longer servants of sin. Now we're going to see this word serve and servant a lot through there. And if you look at it in, in Greek, it's the word doulos, which means slave. So uh, in, in this time, if talking about a servant would, would, would conjure up a certain image, in our day and time, when we're thinking about servants, we're thinking about um, butler and you know, the nanny and the cook. But think slave, okay? This is, this is really the, 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 the um, implied meaning there. When it, so our, our culture changes that, that, that image just a little bit. So think about how he, he explains it here. But in verse number seven, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse number eight, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him because we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And if we are dead with Christ, then we believe also that we are going to rise again or dying with Christ also means living with Christ. In verse number nine, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, can't die again because he has dominion over death. Death can't do this anymore. He's, he beat up the, the, the schoolyard bully named Death, and death can't do any, he has no more power over him. And in Christ, then, uh, death um, will not hold us back. Jesus died, verse number 10 tells us, Jesus died to sin uh, once for all. But his life, he lives to God. Romans, um, Hebrews 7, I read it this morning about how that the priests, uh, they, they couldn't keep being the priests because they died. And Jesus gets, is the eternal priest because he ever liveth. Well, it goes on to say that those, those same priests, verse 27 says that, that if uh, uh, the, 
they had to go in and, and, and perform a, a sacrifice for themselves because they were sinners. And then they performed the sacrifice for the other for the people that they were really there for. But Jesus had no sin to pay for, so he could pay for the sins once for all. It never, it didn't have to keep being repeated. He goes on in verse number 11. And Paul says, likewise, so just like I've been talking about up here, what's he been talking about? Well, he's talking about being dead to sin and living unto God. He says, likewise, reckon ye yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we, too, in Christ, should consider ourselves dead to sin. It has no, no power over me. It has no sway in my life. It, it, I am dead to sin, and I am alive unto God. I live unto God because of the union that I have in Christ. There he says, verse number 12, Therefore, there's a therefore halfway through the sentence there, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Why? That you, w- that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. So don't let sin rule you anymore as it once did. Because before we were saved, sin had power. We were under the slavery of sin. But Christ set us free from that. And so now that we are in Christ, we are dead to sin. We've been buried with Him. We are raised in it to walk in newness of life. And we are, yet, uh, we are given another life and a chance to live no longer enslaved by sin, but as a slave to righteousness. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you, you may recognize some of these terms. Verse number 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of, right, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So, you know, as he's saying, don't let sin rule yourself, uh, rule you, but as someone who has new life, present your body as an instrument to the righteousness of of God and not to sin. He goes on, he says in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now this is not a command saying, hey, don't let sin have dominion. This is a promise. Sin does not have dominion over you. You don't have to serve sin. You have been freed from that. If you were a slave to sin, then you would have to serve sin. But you've been freed from that slavery, that you're no longer under the bondage of sin, so it no longer has dominion over you. You you can't tell me what to do anymore because you're not the master. Sin. Jesus and God is my master. And that's what Jesus, uh, Jesus does for us. Verse number 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish verse 14. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. He's kind of repeating the same idea at the beginning of the chapter saying, well, since I'm not under the law, I get to do what I want to do. I've been set free free from sin. I'm a free man. I can go and do whatever I want to. But that's not what he says. That's only part of it. Because then it goes on. He says, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You don't become free to do whatever you want. You become free to a different master. We're still servants. We're still slaves but just to a different master. He says, you were the slave of sin, but now you're the slave of someone else. And, you, and he tells us how we, how we decide who our master is. We're the slave of whomever we obey. And we're either serving sin, and sin leads us to death, verse number 16, or we are uh, a, a slave to righteousness. We obey God, and that leads us to righteousness. Notice what he says there in verse number um, uh, verse number uh, 17. It says, but, uh, let's see, verse number 17. But God be thanked 
that you were the servants of sin. This is before justification. You used to be a slave to sin. You were under its power, its dominion, its control. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you get to do whatever you want. It's not what he says. You've been made free from sin. You became the servants of righteousness. You're still a slave to a different master. The master of righteousness. The master of uh, the master who is who is God, not sin. But he says, we as slaves of sin, we were. He goes on. He says that, um, and he even explains himself in verse number nineteen, saying that I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. He goes, I'm using a. I understand. I'm using a uh, an illustration here that may not be completely act. Uh, you know, completely. It may have some some flaws with it because you know like we're thinking well i'm not a slave you know because we have certain images of slavery but uh, paul explains himself here he's saying for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness before he says you presented your members or you yielded yourselves to uncleanness and this led to increasing iniquity and lawlessness that's what happened you go back in your life is one of the reasons why I wanted uh, to hear testimony tonight, and I'd like to you know, encourage uh, you know, more having, having more testimonies at times and just hearing how, how we came to Christ, whether they be growing up in church from five years old or you hadn't been here and, and then you came here as a 50-year-old man or whatever it may be. I'd like to hear because um, it was, no matter how the story began before Christ, we were all the servants of sin. And depending on how bad that looked on the outside, you can, you can relate to that. You can see how following sin led to increasing iniquity and, and lawlessness. It didn't, you didn't get better. Being away from God, being far from God, did, your life didn't get better. You know, we don't evolve into better creatures. We are, not, we are not naturally good people that just eventually, given the right circumstances and, and environment, we're going to get better and better and better. No, we're going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, and that's what Paul says here. When we were servants of sin... This is what happened to you. But he says, now even so yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. It leads to holiness. So I'm going to be a servant to someone, whomever I obey. And I'm going to either serve sin or I'm going to serve righteousness. He said, when you serve sin, look, remember what happened. Look in verse number 20. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. But notice he says, what fruit had you then in those things? What, What did that produce in your life? When you were the servant of sin, and those of you who can, who can, you can tell a testimony that you lived a, part, a good portion of your life apart from Christ, what good did that do you? Uh, maybe you grew up in church and you just didn't you know, really make the connections. You didn't get saved, if you will, until later on in life. But if you have a testimony, that I, I, was, I was doing my own thing for a long time. Notice what Paul says here about this. He says, you're now ashamed. I have yet to meet a good Christian, one who is truly understands his past that is proud of what he did before he came to Christ. I, I, I don't know of a person who says, you know what, uh, I wasn't that bad. No, the, the, more, the more I grow in Christ, the worse I realize. And, I, and I'm talking about me who grew up in, I, I can't remember when I wasn't in church because there's never been a time like that. I grew up in Sunday school and, and Christian school and junior church and I knew all the verses. I remember I had the nickname in, in junior church, I was the walking Bible because I was the one kid who knew all the questions. I'm like, well, duh, because I'm here every week. I mean, I mean, my dad's a pastor. I know I'm supposed to know these things, but I thought it was a badge of honor. But I walk around thinking I'm better. But really, the more I grow in Christ, the more I realize, ooh, Tim, you do not have it all together. And 
as I said last week, the person in this room, if we could figure out who the best Christian in this room would say, oh, don't look at me, look at someone else. Because uh, as we look at Paul and we say, man, this guy was a great Christian and yet he's the chiefs of sinners. Uh, so when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He said, well, my life wasn't that bad to Christ. The road you were going apart from Christ is going to lead to death. You might have lived a moral life. You might have lived a life that was upstanding and it, and it looked okay on the outside, but it was leading to death. But notice what he says. But now, after justification, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So now that we are set free from sin, we have become God's slave. The result is the process we call sanctification. I think we read it there, holiness. It means the same thing. And holiness or sanctification yields itself or ends in eternal life. Now, verse 23 is the verse that we use a lot if, you, if you're familiar with what's called the Romans Road and uh, uh, several verses in the book of Romans that you would maybe use to lead someone uh, uh, through the gospel. And we use this verse to point out the fact that, that the wages of sin is death. But what, what it's really, what it's in, context, in context, what it's talking about is, is talking about how you used to live and how you are now expected to live as a, as a slave of God. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because sin brings death. But God, your new master, brings life. He brings sanctification. As I said, uh, the, the point of this, of, of this, this uh, meditation tonight is if this morning it was all about I can be saved because of Jesus' resurrection. But it's not just limited to that. I, I, I don't uh, doubt the salvation of the majority of you. Maybe there's some kids that you haven't, you know, you haven't made, that, made that understanding yet. You know, for the majority of us here, I'd say, yeah, okay, yeah, we'd all we have a believable testimony. But that that's past. Now we're living in the Romans six. We're living in that time of what's called sanctification. We have been made free from the law of sin. We're no longer under its under its bondage. We are now freed from that, not to go and run around and do whatever we want. We are free to serve a different master. If you remember those those days in, in Bible times, you know, when you bought a slave, you didn't free them, they just became your slave. And that's what that's what Paul is explaining here. Guys, you were freed from sin, but you still belong to someone else. You belong to whomever you obey. And God is saying here that when we are bought, that's what that's why in First Corinthians he says that we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. He bought us and he owns us and he is working in us to make us holy or to sanctify us and, um, and make us uh, what he wants us to be. And that ends in this thing we call eternal life. R.C. Sproul wrote, regeneration is God's work alone. There's a, there's a term called synergism. And, it's, uh, and, 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 and synergism, as far as justification goes, means that you have a part to play in your salvation and God has a part to play in your salvation. And, and that's, not, that's contrary to the word of God. But, and what, what, what uh, R.C. Sproul is saying here is that regeneration is God's work alone, but sanctification is the process by which we are made holy. That is synergistic. He says, sanctification, the process by which we are made holy, is synergistic 
God's work with us. You didn't have to do anything to get saved. God saved you. But that doesn't mean that you just get to do whatever you want to do now. Now, as a Christian, there's some work to do. And we don't sit back and say, okay, God, do whatever you want with me. I'll be on the couch. I'll be watching TV when you're... No, He calls us to do some things. Now, He enables us with His Spirit. We don't do this in our, on our, in our own power. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all, but I am suggesting there are, there are things for us to do uh, that we have a responsibility. Though we play no part in our salvation, we do have a responsibility and a role in our sanctification. And so tonight, just a, a, a flip of the coin, if you will, to re- re- remember that the gospel, which is everything, not only has to do with our salvation, it is very significant to our sanctification. We belong now to Christ. And as Paul suggests, what are we to do now? Just live however we want to because we're saved. And hey, Jesus rose from the dead. We think about, you know, all these people that go to church on Easter and Christmas. And, and if we ask them, you're Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus is alive. But the rest of the time, where are they? What are they doing? And I'm not suggesting that, well, they only, you know, they're only, they only, uh, they're, they're just paying lip service. I, I think they truly believe these things, but it's the, it's this idea that I am freed to live however I want now, and one day I'm going to get to go to heaven. I got my punch ticket. I got my bus ticket to heaven, and when it's my time to go, that's where I'm going. In the meantime, leave me alone. And I want to do what I want to do. And that's, and that's not what, uh, that's not what uh, God has in mind when He saves us. So as we sang the song this morning, because He lives. Uh, this, and and is the, the verses that, that we sing several of them. Because Jesus lives, so will I. But that means that I can live differently now. And that really means that I should be living differently now. If I see a person, and I, regardless really if I'd know them before Christ or not, do we all agree that there should be some sort of a change afterwards? Do we think that it's okay to live one way and get saved and continue living that way? Even if a person grows up, you know, our kids here, we, we, we hope, I think every single one of us, want our kids to have a testimony of, I grew up in church, I knew all the Bible verses before I turned 12, I knew all the ins and outs, I, you know, I, I, I got in trouble at church, all my friends, and I continued on after, after leaving high school, leaving mom and dad's house, they say, we want them to have that, that type of a testimony, and, and many of us do in this room, we, we, church is all we know, the Christian life is all we know, but there should still be a difference in my life before Christ in my life after Christ. Some of you, you have a testimony like me, and it's, a, it's very hard for me to remember what life looked like before I came to Christ. I was a little one, you know, uh, and, and I had a lot of growing to do. But even over the last 10 years or 15 years of my life when I, it really made sense, when I really started getting a grasp on I can see a change. I should be able to see a change. And you know what? The, the longer I'm saved, the more I see I've got to go. When I was when I was a young one, I was like, "Oh, I'm almost there." I mean, I can remember vividly walking into church as like a 13 year old thinking, "I could do what my dad does, no big deal." And the more I'm like, "Oh my goodness, what is going on? I have no idea what's going on." Because the more I'm the more I'm in this thing called the Christian life, the farther I see the road is. You know, it's like when you're when you're you're coming up on a road and you're like, "Oh, it's just over there," and then you realize that your perception is way off and it's a lot farther away than you thought. 
And as we're young Christians, we think, oh, that's not hard. And then we get, oh, wow, it's a little further than I thought. It's a lot further than I thought. Man, I'm not as good as I once thought. There ought to be some type of a change at that point of justification, the act of justification, which is an act. It's not a, uh, it's not a process like sanctification. Sanctification is not an act. It's not a, boom, you're, you're good now. You're holy. There ought to be some growth. Let me, let me encourage you this week, this, this tonight. Look over your life. Is there growth? Is there a change, positive one, in what you would consider before Christ, B.C.? A.C., after Christ. And you see a change. Are you growing? Are, because if there's not, what does Romans 6 tell us? We serve the one we obey. And if I am continuing to serve the one that I served after Christ, if I served one before Christ and I'm still serving that one after Christ, what does that say about Romans 6? What does that say about my justification? What about my sanctification? I'm not suggesting that uh, you doubt your salvation or anything like that, but I am suggesting that we take a look at our lives and we see, you know what, the gospel, the, the resurrection Sunday is more than an event that I commemorate every year with getting a new tie or having a special dinner or even having a chocolate Easter bunny in my freezer that I nibble on for the next month. There is something greater than that. There is a, there is a, it, it reflects an event that happened that has changed my life forever. And I'm no longer the same because of what happened 2,000 years ago and the, the event that happened in my life when I, when I finally realized this makes a difference. We call that the moment of salvation. But at that, that, from that moment on, things should not be different. Or things should not be the same. They should continue to look different in my life and hopefully 15, 20, 25 years from now, I can stand up here and look back at this year's Tim and say, wow, he had a lot of growing to do. And I hope that you can do the same. Look at your life and look at where it's been and where it is. Can you see the grace of God in there? Can you see the growth that he has worked? He started the work and he promises to complete it. But he does require us to get involved and chip in a little with this, this act, what we call sanctification. I hope that, that you'll be motivated, number one, to keep going or to get going, but also encouraged. As you can see, God has changed my life big time. And that's, that's one of the reasons why it's increased. It's, a, it's encouragement to hear someone's testimony. And for the person hearing it, also for the person telling it, hey, God has done some crazy things in my life, and he has moved me uh, and grown me in ways that I never thought he could. That's the process that we know as sanctification. Let's pray and we will.